we live and die by email around here. We get overwhelmed and people don't know how to transact appropriately in email. People get so frustrated when their emails are ignored and by putting simple commitment statements and timeline statements in it and transacting in that email medium, we're teaching others how to move through these transactions just with the words that we use in our email. And I, for example, used to get emails and someone would say, well, if you want to do this, please respond by X. And I would respond because I didn't want to do it. But now I know enough <laughs> to write back and say, thank you for the invitation. And I decline. And that is just a simple showing of respect that is a building block that leads towards better, not only better relationships, but through the transaction cycle more quickly. Helping people build ambitious and satisfying careers, businesses, and lives. This is the Influence Ecology Podcast. Now, here is your host, John Patterson. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm your host, John Patterson, the co-founder and CEO of Influence Ecology, the leading business education in transactional competence. Broadcasting from Ventura, California, this podcast features case studies, stories, and lessons from business owners, executives, and entrepreneurs who found real solutions, real results, and real satisfaction, not only with work, career, and money, but in every area of life. You'll hear how these ambitious professionals found that those who transact powerfully thrive At the University of Virginia School of Medicine, I interviewed a group of women about the impact of our programs. I spoke with Ellen Beverly, Don Spiller, Olga Kipnis, Carolyn Saint, and Jen Oliver about how the framework of transactional competence has helped them in their roles within the university. What might you wonder is the most surprising outcome? Well, it's an environment of respect for different roles and personalities. While they each experienced more effectiveness and influence, the ability to understand personality and transactional behavior has produced a culture of respect for both the simple day-to-day transactions, but also for the larger transactions that support the aims of the enterprise. You can hear how transactional competence provides a framework where each individual can understand their own and others' roles in the transactions they all serve. I do apologize in advance that some of the audio quality may be difficult, but stick with it, as there are many great lessons here. Here's the interview. First of all, I'd like to welcome you all to the Influence Ecology podcast. This is one of the first podcasts that we've done with a group of people from the same enterprise. And so I'd like to take a moment and have one of you say the name of the enterprise that you represent. And then I want to give people an opportunity to just say their name and role within the enterprise. Okay. Well, we are here from the University of Virginia. And my name is Ellen Beverly, and I'm a senior business partner in the health system. I'm Don Spiller, and I'm a project manager in the School of Medicine at the university. And I'm Olga Kipnis. I am director of the Project Management and Continuous Improvement Office at the School of Medicine at the university. 
My name is Carolyn Saint. I'm the Chief Audit Executive for the University. My name is Jen Oliver, and I'm the Senior Director of Service for Human Resources on the Academic Division. All right, very good. First thing that I would love to know is why you found transactional competence something relevant or useful for the initiatives that you have within your enterprise. And I can start. It's Carolyn Saint. I asked my entire team to get involved in a program that you and Kirkland helped to devise called Introduction to Transactional Competence because I had been in Fundamentals of Transaction and I couldn't have the whole team do that, but we could do a customized version of that. And the reason I asked my team to do it is I wanted us to get on the same page in terms of thinking about the way we work together, the transaction cycle, And then we really have found value in equating the transaction cycle to the audit cycle. And we've also found a lot of value in understanding who's on the team. So the personality and behavioral preferences, those two things have been really important for the audit function to operate better as a team. And Carolyn, have you found that it's helped a lot, a little? Has it speeded things up? What what impact has it had? I would say it's helped a lot. I don't think things can ever go fast enough. What it has done is helped us understand when we've gone out of order of the transaction cycle. So we found a lot of producers, our auditors, or a lot of auditors or producers, however you want to say that. And we would find a lot of just moving into action without having all of the other steps in the transaction cycle completed. So we would all we would purposefully understand that that was happening. And then we would force ourselves backwards in the transaction cycle to get to presentation, acceptance of offers, commitments. One thing that we also did was we changed the way we communicate with our auditees, our clients. We, instead of having an engagement letter, we now have a commitment letter. So we define what we're committing to the client or the auditee, what we need from them in order to transact competently together. So we've done a lot around noticing when we are breaking the transaction cycle, and that is causing us to sort of not perform as well as we could. That's great. And do you find that it produces more compliance or influence with those that you transact with? You mentioned the changing the letter, calling it a commitment letter. Are there other ways in which you found it to produce some compliance or influence within the groups you work with? Less that than internally, because I don't think we've focused enough on really making that happen externally. Internally, yes. Okay. I want to just also just point out that we may be on individual teams within the, the larger organization, but all of us have interactions and transactions with one another, whether it's independently, whether it's in group setting, whether it's on projects. So there, there is, we do transact, we do transact together and work, work closely. Not all the time. It's, you know, Carolyn's going to be, you know, when, when we implement something new in January, she's going to come and say, okay, now let's check it out and make sure that you're all doing it correctly. So I just wanted to make that point. You know, some teams, some organizations have teams organized around certain functions. So would you say that you're on teams that are across functions? 
and then you happen to get together occasionally and have to transact with one another. Yeah, yes. and maybe I can give an example. So what my team in the project management and process improvement in the School of Medicine does, basically, we work with different business stakeholders in the School of Medicine. And School of Medicine is basically involved in advancing missions of the school, which is research, education, and clinical. So we work with faculty members, with students, with administration to make sure that we are achieve our aims in these areas. And we analyze processes, see what the business need may be, what are the aims of the institution around certain areas. And we create a team that would undertake an implementation of uh, a new service, a new system, a new product of some sort. And as an example, a few years ago, for example, we created a project that looked at the hiring process for physicians, and we identified opportunities to reduce the number of days it takes to bring a physician here and see how we communicate with them and what kind of offer we send to them to make sure that it's all better result for the physicians and also the school. So for that, in that setting, someone on my team worked with Jen or Ellen as human resources function. So in that, we were on the same team to create an outcome, an outcome to achieve business objectives. Great. So does the transactional competence framework allow you to have a similar way to talk about speeding those things up or perhaps constructing those transactions? Tell me a little bit about how that helps you. I find the transaction cycle, the way we study it with influence ecology, it's almost like a formula or set of principles or etiquette how to get things done, especially in our environment where we constantly create change. And the first thing that comes to my mind as I'm looking at the steps that some of them are obvious for many people, most of them though are hidden in our environment. And unless you pay attention, you may either take more time to achieve something or in fact, you may actually take a wrong path. And I see that happens more often than speeding up. I mean, eventually to take more time. So the first one that I think Caroline talked about, probably the the most obvious one that I paid attention to a few years ago is a contract step that is often overlooked. And many of us, especially in the industry that is very customer service oriented, we may go and hear things and leadership may talk about, wouldn't that be nice if we could have that or we have a need for something? And those of us in a project management or process improvement arena that are very customer focused, we may hear that and we want to please and take actions and we say, oh, the leadership asked us to do something. We may now start organizing efforts around doing that. And then we are overwhelmed. Then we complain that we don't have enough resources. And then we may just not move in the direction where we need to move sometimes. So that's the thing that I realized, and that's where I think, and, and I'll let Dawn to, to add, we focus to make sure that before we 
we carefully look at what our, our commitment is and take actions for things that we committed to and not for things that were desired or intended or just ideas. And we learned to, as we hear things from the leadership or from others, to actually follow up with the question, and did you really mean us to, to do that? Or if you did, here is the plan or here is the consequence or here is something that we may consider as we take that further. The, the other thing that I also realized in the transaction cycle, and it comes to me actually later in my study, is we often also miss the step of invite people into conversation. We have some thoughts, we have some ideas, we many times have uh, open door policy here, and we just believe that we can just go ahead and enter an office and share our thoughts or provide some judgment or whatever request things. And I actually realized with myself, actually with my team, if I can be completely honest, that at times, not only my immediate team, but just generally, that people may come to me because I have that open door physical invitation that you can come in and I may not be in the best mood. I may not I may just be busy. Um, I may not be in the right mindset to be the best person to listen to what's going to come into my office at the time. And I actually also told the people that work with me closely and I myself started practicing to make sure that regardless of how passionate I may be about certain things, I try to do my best to invite people into the conversation when I know that I need something. Or I also learn to when people come in and there may be something important to them and I may not be in the best mindset to address it, that I would ask them to, let's let's reschedule, let's talk about this. I see that it's important, but um, I may not be able to do this right now. And that's this may be a little thing. This is something that I learned as part of my development as a transactionalist, thanks to the study that we do with you. That's great. That's really great. So to say that back, you found that you skipped the invitation step and you would just launch in whatever way you would with an opinion, a judgment, a request, or whatever the case may be, or other people would come to you and the invitation was often missing, as in, hey, would it be all right if we talked about X? Or I'd like to invite you to consider this. So that piece was missing and that's now added something in. That's what you're saying, right? Correct. And I probably will also add is that in my mind, it's such a powerful, I don't know, marriage between transactional cycle and personalities. Because we also know that the, some of us that have judge personality they may need more time to make decision, right? So it's, it's a powerful thing to also consider that for every step in the transaction cycle. Great. So, to our benefit to give a heads up to the person. I found that very key in being able to identify the personality types and where I am in the transactional cycle and being able to know what those levers are and when we skip steps, what what needs to happen to go back or to move us forward? I find that they go hand in hand. And looking at it through that that lens of this is that personality type. We are in this position in the transaction cycle. This is the next thing that must occur. Yeah, it's really good. And Don, do you have any examples that come to mind? 
Yeah, there's personality types. Like I, I work cross collaboratively with many different groups of people and being able to see who is that a single personality type. In the past, I was seeing everyone through the same lens. And when I was getting feedback from a person, I wasn't adding that layer of what is this person's personality type? I was seeing it from my reaction. I was allowing my emotional reaction to create bias or a filter of time or response. We're now where I take it all in and I stop and I ask those key questions. What personality type is this person? What are they trying to convey? And how should I receive it based on what personality type they are? And how do I need to then communicate back to them what is the best method? What levers can I use? What tools can I use to get to where I need to be, to where we need to be in this transaction? It has allowed me to fail fast and readjust rather quickly to improve transaction time. And I think clarity of communication, which as a project manager is key. So working on that all the time to do that, but taking those steps has, I think, improved my project results. So there's a lot of judges I work with in technologies. There's quite a few judges as an explicit example, like you asked. So it's just the a general characteristic of a certain personality type that ends up being a developer per se, or someone who create an architect in order for them to be successful. Oftentimes they are the judge and inventor type. I am a performer doer producer. So I'm on the other side. So I have to understand that we have different ways of communicating and seeing things and then use that lens to better communicate to them. And I found just, Doing that and being mindful of that has made the relationships better overall and specific activities more quality outcomes. That's great. Jen or Ellen, you have anything to contribute about what's been said so far? Examples of your own? Well, this is Ellen. I was thinking about some of the tools that we've been using as we affect a very large change here in the health system and in HR. And we use a lot of lean tools and the A3 tools. And I think my study with Influence Ecology has allowed me to be more effective in use of these tools at the university, because you can take lean principles and the steps of A3 and put the transaction cycle with them. And me being able to hold myself accountable with my own emotional reactions and to make sure that I'm listening in with the other people involved in these transactions. It just helps me be a better participant in these university projects to help move the project along. It's great. Really great. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Jen, for you. So the university is going through some very significant change that we've been on a journey for an HR transformation for almost five years now. You know, I've been using what I've learned from influence ecology from day one. And I have found that it's evolved for myself personally. I think it's also evolved with those that I'm transacting with, but they, they may not understand that. (laughs) It's like, it's surprised. They don't know what we're using on them or with them. But early in the project, I found myself similar to some of the other comments that were made. We're really working on inviting people to participate and, and not going straight to action. What I find late in the project, which we are in some of the very end stages of a major technology implementation in less than 60 days, 
what we're finding is sometimes some of the community is of a certain personality where they may be stuck in reassessment, right? And so it's, they're indifferent to the fact that the change is coming and we're here. And so it's either backing them up or speeding them up to get them to not necessarily where we want them to be, but to a place where they're back in acceptance that and in a partnership. So it's different examples of kind of what, what I'm seeing. I mean, right now I'm managing change in multiple different personalities. You know, we're out there with stakeholders, we're having meetings, it's it's coming, you know, we understand and we hear your concerns. And then people want to reinvent and we're not in a place of reinvention right now. But how do I shift that conversation into the transaction cycle to get them into whether it's back down into commitment that they want to come along, even if it's not exactly where they had hoped. So it's a powerful tool and it's been fairly significant for me, at least in this project over the past five years. I probably will only add that in my reflection, the third step out of our more steps of the transaction cycle is probably that is overlooking our environment is complete. We tend to believe that once we created something, then this is sufficient and we often overlook just to put a bow, wrapping paper on that gift, which may be a set of communication, position that product to ongoing, some kind of process improvement or product owner or something like that. Or we often mistaken that our decision to act on something is a completion. So I'll just give an example. We may receive an email asking us to do something and a person may decide we are going to do this later. But if they don't respond to the email to communicate, here's my decision, we're going to do this later, and it's just in their mind, then it's, it's not a proper completion of that specific email that was received. So small things like that, or we had a conversation, we have a meeting, we, we can make a decision of some sort, but unless someone actually follows through with an email and saying, here's what we decided and here's what's going to be the next step, then in some way that meeting without that follow-up is a, is a waste because then we need to come back to this and see what actually was discussed. So back to your earlier question, I probably would not attribute that we have saved so many dollars or we have speed things up by so many days on a general sense. However, all these small things that we could have prevented or eliminated or improved or took ourselves from a position to be in the wrong path to the right path, they definitely add tremendous satisfaction, I think, to our own world. And as we are better people, we can also make people around us better customers and stakeholders. If you'd like to know more about Influence Ecology and our approach, you can register for free 30-day guest access. During this time, you can test drive our interactive webinars, online learning system, and private mentorship. Program participation is by application only, and successful participants earn candidacy into our advanced program tiers. Our members are an international assembly of ambitious professionals, business leaders, and executives from a variety of countries, industries, and cultures. To find out more, you can find a link in the show notes for this podcast at influenceecology.com forward slash podcast. That's influenceecology.com 
forward slash podcast. Or in the U.S. or Canada, you can text the word ambition to 805-262-9008 and we'll send the registration link right to your mobile phone. Again, text the word ambition to 805-262-9008. Also in our show notes, you'll find all the links to websites, books, or special downloads mentioned in this podcast. I want to address a question I didn't I didn't think of until just speaking with all of you and, and listening a little bit. One thing that I can certainly hear is, is that transactional competence provides each of you a framework in which to think from that helps guide certain activities, conversations, invitations, how I might speak to someone that has this personality or that personality, how I might construct this or that. One thing that we're finding, especially within organizations, whether or not organizations are utilizing transactional competence as a framework for a team or across functional teams is that without that framework, so if you if you now imagine you didn't have that framework, then what might be there in its place? And so we've, in our conversations with some other companies, found that in the absence of that framework, then the only thing left is perhaps there's some someone with popularity drives certain conversations, maybe someone's authority, maybe someone who tends to be leaderly, but there's absent of a framework grabbing at attempts that are familiar to people, but having everyone with the same framework seems to provide something that absence of that framework, you just do what you do. So I, I just wanted to ask you if you can imagine not having that framework what might be in its place? This is Jen. So I, I would say for me personally in that, and I think I've discussed this before to be very vulnerable here, that if that framework were to go, which once you instill it, it's it's hard to leave it, but let's say it just it left. I would be back into a place where I was often indifferent to others' needs or as a producer, I went straight to action and I expected other personalities to follow. And I expected them to move how I move. I completely understand that that is not the case at all. And as a producer, I think it's just, it, it's, it's allowed me the ability to have conversations and transactions in ways with stakeholders, with large groups where I'm much more open to listening to others' ideas rather than just going straight to to work in action, you know, respecting the inventor personalities and all that they have to say and think about and that we don't have to act on all of that, but that it's important for us to capture and to acknowledge. And I think in higher education, that's really critical. And that was a missing piece, I think, for me in my own personal ability to be successful and in my career. Let me ask Jan uh, just an added on question. So Jen, in learning to, and I appreciate your vulnerability because it's something I think most people experience in our, in our training and development, uh, a kind of understanding of their own personality and transactional behavior and what it might be like to be on the other end of it, <laughs> whatever that may be. My question to you is, do you find yourself able to include other personalities and roles in transactions 
in ways that you didn't in the past? I do. Is it perfect? No, not at all. I mean, I I will constantly say to myself, oh boy, here comes another one of those, but I'm prepared for it. Right. And so I can immediately put myself in a position of, okay, well, how can I respond in a way that we're going to be able to partner and move forward? Or how do we need to back up? Or do we need to take a pause? Does something need to shift to someone else? You know, I've become very proficient at declining, which I never did before, and making sure that the right people have the work and action that they need, and that it doesn't always need to sit with me. So yeah, but it's still a journey, right? It's a practice. It's not something that you're going to be tomorrow. I know the areas that I still need to focus on and which personalities and which sides of the transaction cycle are the hardest for me. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good. Thanks. Olga, you were going to say something? Yes, I wanted to actually also share about myself as a partly performer and producer. And because of I genuinely care and love people. And as we create change and we create something big and great, I actually feel very passionate about what we do here. I also tend to usually move in a very good mood. And one of the things I learned and also to share is that the great mood may not always be appropriate for different things. And at times we may need to shift the mood. And it also helped me better appreciate judge as a personality and also to want to have a judge on the team to hear their skepticism, to have them ask for facts and evidence and embrace it to the extent that I think I'm on that journey, and I love it now. I actually want to have someone like that on my team. And I know that the quality is going to be better. Great. Did somebody snicker? I think I heard somebody hear hear themselves in something someone said. Anybody else have a comment? I feel like I'm the yin to Olga's yang. <laughs> because I, I think after you, John, I'm a judgy inventor. And so normally, it's optimistic, but also, I know, but it's also driven. <laughs> You know, so it's not hard for me to be on the other side of that coin. I loved how you said you love people. And I was like, that's so not me. I love the idea. And I love the consequences of good work, but I'm not sure I love the people. So if only I could get more of what you do into what I do. Or just have a team where you have the balance. Yeah. Like be the yin and yang. Together, like you can complement each other and work together to come back. One of the things I've learned from it, like she was saying, it's important to have judges. They have value. If you didn't have any judges, your quality would go down. Well, that's the other thing, though. I have a, lot of, have a lot of producer judges. So yeah. I have people who can't, who can't imagine how to do work faster, different, better. But they're all about judging ideas, largely from leaders. It's this right. interesting construct. And even today, we were just having a conversation about judges judging inventors. So the language is so alive and well in the internal audit department. We talk about it. I don't know if it's put people in boxes, which would not be helpful, but it also does kind of counteract this tendency where I think the leaders sometimes feel on their heels a bit, where they're being almost judged by the auditors that work for them, right? So it's this kind of balance of how do you harness the producer who you cannot live without a producer? But then how do you also get them to be more nimble? How do you get them to not have to? If you have a checklist, how does the checklist not have to be done in a linear way? So 
what influence ecology and the and the concepts has done for us is give us language to maybe have a bit more forbearance with each other, but also a little bit of like calling each other's task and say, hey, you are judging something that's already done. Like we gotta move on from questioning the methodology and now we just have to execute. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're using this language about where we are in, in the transaction cycle as well as in the personality types on a daily basis. So it's kind of, it's comical almost, but I, I just loved what you said about performer, producer, loving people and the world. That's just so powerful. I would add to that. I mean, we work among many, many brilliant people here at the University of Virginia, and many of them are judges and inventors. And one of the things that this has helped me with is the ability to laugh at myself as an inventor. So now that I understand all the different personality types, when I'm dealing with another inventor, I can see myself in them. And rather than get overly emotional or upset about it, I can laugh at that. And I do a much better job of transacting with them because I'm looking in the mirror, talking to myself, and I know how to get what I need out of that. So, John, you know, also to that end, you talk about how we use this practice among our teams and ourselves. But I think we are also instilling much of what we have learned on those that we transact with without them realizing it. So, for example... If all they want to do is talk about X, Y, or Z, and I know that that person's an inventor, I can move them to the fact that says, they're just ideas. Just just accept them and respect them and validate them. And you don't have to act on it. People don't understand. And, and I was in that position, right? So it's the ability to basically tell them, listen, buckle your seat mm-hmm. and let the emotions flow out of you in a different manner. And so I think all of us in some fashion are having those types of dialogues, even if we don't know that we are. I think in a way that even in large settings where we're in groups and people are very passionate about their opinions, and maybe we have a strong, really strong personality that's taking over the room. It's an ability for us to validate that person, if they are of that inventor personality, and move things further faster. If I can add on that, this is Dawn, that is key. And and I think Olga says it quite frequently now, it becomes part of my mantra. And as we're as in groups having a meeting, I go to, so when you get to having that person go, oh, they're saying all this stuff, but to be able to then go, yes, okay, that's information. What is the what are the facts from this information and what are important facts from this information and what are actionable facts to kind of filter it down so that people and then contract off of the facts, not off of all the information that's flying around because we have a lot of that. It's very good. You know, I, I didn't know I'd hear this, but I can hear a lot of the way in which what you've learned is rippling through your teams and your conversations with others the way that it's impacting your own view of yourself in certain conversations and transactions and the like. Is there anything else that we should know about that sort of impact or ripple, if you will, from what you've learned through your teams, through the enterprise and so forth? The thought come to my mind comes just at a basic level of respect here at the University of Virginia in a very... Simple example, we live and die by email around here. 
we get overwhelmed now and people don't know how to transact appropriately in email. People get so frustrated when their emails are ignored and by putting simple commitment statements and timeline statements in it and transacting in that email medium, we're teaching others how to move through these transactions just with the words that we use in our email and how we impact each other. So I think at the basic level, I, for example, used to get emails and someone would say, you know, if you want to do this, please respond by X. And I wouldn't respond because I didn't want to do it. But now I know enough to write back and say, thank you for the invitation. I decline. And that is just a simple showing of respect that is a building block that leads towards better, not only better relationships, but moving through the transaction cycle more quickly. Mm, It's fantastic. Anybody else? I love the fact that we also practice more not to ignore invitations, requests from people that are important to us. And as, as Ellen, as you said, I'm probably just repeating this, is we need to either accept counter. That's the other thing that I learned with influence ecology. Not being an inventor, it not always occurs to me that actually I can counter. I used to just accept. Then I learned, okay, I can decline. And it's a good thing. It's a special thing to be in communication to decline. And I also learned now that I can counter. The other thing that... It helped me actually, and and I'm sorry to say it was not always obvious to me is to care about other people's aims. And I found this is so powerful, especially as we form a team or we're trying to achieve something, not to assume that we all understand what that goal is and ask people what are their aims and what are their commitments that may facilitate or prevent them from actually achieving certain things. What are they committed to? And I have seen that it actually builds not only relationships, I think it also builds a different level of trust. And it's how it's just so it's so important in what we do because on my team we constantly are creating and start working with many new business stakeholders. And often we're getting into the area where we don't have human resources specialization. We don't have research business specialization. We, we don't know any of that. And yet we come and say, we're going to manage this project. And then people are looking at us and saying, who are you? So there are different ways to elevate authority. And one of the ways to enhance that trust is to ask as simple questions as, what are your aims? need to remember that simple and powerful thing to do. That's great. Well, we've got about eight or nine more minutes left. I want to find out if there's anything else anyone wants to say about the impact that transactional competence has had on you personally or on your work situations or the transactions that matter to you. Well, this is Jen. It's a powerful thing. We educate here in higher ed all the time, right? And we think, okay, well, we're educating all these students, and that's the primary reason we're here, patient care and education, and and we understand that. But the fact that there is 
we have access to this powerful education that is outside that is helping build us to be these transactional experts. And I would in no way call myself an expert. I probably will never become an expert because we're constantly learning. It's just been really, really helpful for me. The fact, you know, the import, learning the importance of what reciprocity is and how banking that with individuals that are key to me, whether it's personally and or professionally. I mean, we're talking here as a, in our roles in this organization, but I think all of us can probably attest to the fact that this education has helped us personally as well. It has changed my relationship with my kids and my spouse. And when your relationships change in those sides of your life, usually you will tend to see that they're changing in the business side and other angles of, of your life as well. It's great. Fantastic. And this is Ellen. I, I think one of the things that as I sit here, I'm just reflecting on what's helped me the most is having a better understanding of what my offer is how to represent that offer, how to put my aims out there and transact with people to get them. I mean, before I began studying with influence ecology, and even during the first couple years of it, it was difficult for me to wrap my arms around what my offer was in the marketplace. And I think study has really helped me understand that, hone that, and how important it is to link my aims and my offer and understand, like Olga was saying, what other people's aims are to make sure we're moving forward together. I really do think that I was aimless before influence ecology, and now I know what my aim is and what my intentions are and how to move myself in that direction. That's a beautiful thing to say, Ellen, for a variety of reasons. One thing that's happening is that we have been doing some work with a variety of individuals throughout the, the country who are involved in some agile transformation that's occurring in a variety of different organizations. And so they've begun to utilize transactional competence as a framework to accelerate their initiatives. Basically, as many of you have pointed out, that there's a common language or approach to direct an initiative where People are dealing with their role in that transaction. Where are we in that transaction? How do I speed this up? How do I cut certain costs by not being on the same page? How do I speed, get things to market faster, given that we're now able to be on the same page and so forth? One thing that people continue to find and discover is that they have an offer, you said, we'll say it in a longer way, an offer of help, something they're specialized in, something they focus on within that initiative, within that role that they don't often exploit or know how to exploit. And there's always the dance between their offer of help and the aims and commitments of other people. And so I can't say how important that is. And I love that you've had that result for yourself. It's a big deal. It's not a little deal. It's a big deal. And it not only makes you relevant and useful and valued within your organization, but you can continue to transact for more and more utility value help within the organization, which impacts your career and everything else. So uh, it, it makes me very happy to hear. John, I will add the last thing probably here from myself is that 
I'm a big fan of magic and Disney and all of that. And one of the Disney's quotes that I had been in the inquiry about was, if you can dream it, you can do it. I did not know how to dream before. And I will say that with the influence ecology study, I think I, at least for myself, have a better understanding what that dream action is. And in my mind, that is number one, to know your aims. And number two is to have a transactional competence. And if you know your aims and you have a transactional competence, so if you have that, and that's the interpretation of the word dream for me, then you can do it. So thank you again. All right. Any other last words from anyone? Don't go out of business. <laughs> Please, oh, I don't gosh, know what no. that about. If you didn't exist, it's just I know wow. more growth to do, more learning and practice to continue to transact and learn. Definitely. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Don't worry. <laughs> we're, we're having some, some growth issue. Yeah. Yeah, we'll continue with some growth issues. Well, listen, I can't thank you enough. You know, we have for many, many years been working on this curriculum, which is now a four-year curriculum. We've been working this curriculum for individuals within organizations, small business owners, entrepreneurs. And so you're one of the first groups that has participated, you know, within an, an organization. That's quickly changed, but you're one of the first groups to have done so. And it's always a pleasure to hear what that is like, what you've learned, what it would be like if it didn't happen. I love more than anything else. I'll walk away from this loving that what's happening in your transactions with one another and with those around you is, is that there's a kind of respect getting constructed. You could say the ripple of uh, impact of transactional competence is respecting other people's aims, other people's roles in the transactions, other people's personalities, our own personalities, <laughs> just an enormous amount of respect. And I truly appreciate each of you for being early adopters to transactional competence, especially for you, Carolyn. I really appreciate you being an early adopter to, you know, bringing this into a, a group and testing it out. And I'm so very happy that you're getting the kind of impact that you seek. So thank you all very, very much. It's been a pleasure. Well, John, I would say we thank you and, and do know that there are people in our community that are inquiring and they're asking what we're doing. And so that is, I give kudos back to you and the, and the team, because if they're seeing it in all of us and some of the work that we're doing, it's a reflection on the great work that Influence Ecology is doing. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for letting me know that. I appreciate it. My special thanks to our guests, Ellen Beverly, Don Spiller, Olga Kipnis, Carolyn Saint, and Jen Oliver. In our show notes, you'll find links to connect with them and all the links to websites, books, or downloads mentioned in this podcast. The Influence Ecology podcast is produced by Influence Ecology, LLC, in Ventura, California. This episode was recorded December 4th of 2018 and was produced by Tyson Crandall and me, John Patterson. You can find a transcript for this and other episodes at InfluenceEcology.com. This episode is made possible through the assistance of the Influence Ecology faculty, staff, mentors, and students around the world. Co-founder Kirkland Tibbles and our colleagues comprise an international collective of professionals who are active in the development of the philosophy of transactionalism and the discipline of transactional competence. 
Kirkland is considered a leading philosopher and authority in the field and has authored more than 500 papers on the subject, study, and discipline. This episode includes contributions by Carol Gregory and Marnie Power. The podcast theme is by Chris Standring and titled Fast Trained Everywhere. You can subscribe to the Influence Ecology podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at influenceecology.com or Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. If you haven't yet offered a rating or review, I ask that you take a moment, go to iTunes or your podcast app, and let us know what you think. This helps us more than you know.